<laughs> you made me a sign. All right, if you're in Kidmo, you can head on out to Kidmo. And they are gone. Listen, I don't did somebody put the, did somebody put her up to that? Stephanie, did you put her up to that? Did she do that all on her own? That doesn't surprise me one bit. Oh, she's had it for weeks? And I'm just now noticing. You need to get her a bigger sign. You need to get her a big, a big piece of poster board, or you need to put like a siren on her head. That. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, so that shows you how. Okay. Thank you, Patrick. You got a really good reading voice. You you should do something professionally with that. Um, so Patrick will be reading all our scripture readings um, from now on. And. Uh, Anyways, no, seriously, thank you. And they are a great um, couple. You want to want to get to know them. Um, so today, we're going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount. This is a hard one. And it's a hard one because it doesn't seem hard. <laughs> um, but in it not seeming hard, we come with natural questions to a passage that says, Ask and you will receive because inevitably, everyone in here has asked for something and not received, right? And I want to do honor to that reality. I don't intend to answer that question. So, uh, just so you know, I don't have the answer as to why the thing you've been praying for hasn't happened. Um, although, I might have some clues that I want to push us in the direction of. And in doing that, I hope it opens up for us an opportunity um, to understand what Jesus is saying. Because the Sermon on the Mount is a, a huge part of Scripture. Uh, you know, Jesus has already said, I'm, I'm showing you the whole point of everything that's been written in Scripture. <laughs> I'm not doing away with any of the Old Testament. Um, he couldn't do away with the New Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. Um, but he's saying, I'm not doing away with anything in the Old Testament. I'm showing you the purpose of it and what it was supposed to look like within our lives. And we've gone through a process of going through a number of subjects and a number of topics. That, and we began this process realizing that Jesus is trying to correct some wrongs and Jesus is trying to show us what his yoke looks like. And as you, as you remember... The yoke, even though it certainly is a metaphor and it's certainly talking about the yoke that, you know, two oxen are yoked together and they go in the same directions and things like that. that that's all true, but Jesus had a very specific understanding of yoke in which he's saying, you have been taught about these things and about this Old Testament and you have been taught these things in so many incorrect ways that no wonder everyone's confused, and no wonder nobody wants to follow this. But I'm here to show you what's real and what's true. And in the process, he describes his yoke, his teachings that we follow, that they are not burdensome, that they are easy to follow. And if you've been a Christian for very long, you would even take issue with Jesus on that probably. But Jesus was not saying it did not take effort. What Jesus was saying was, this leads to a good place. A place that draws you and makes you want to be a part of this kingdom and makes you want to follow these teachings because this is what God intended for you. And when we live in these things, it's really a beautiful, beautiful life. And so we began with the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, what we find is, is Jesus saying, some of you are so broken down over this world being broken, um, that you have yearned for something better and you have yearned for the kingdom and you have yearned for God to return. And I want you to know that kingdom you've been yearning for is here. And if you are just broken over the brokenness of the world, that kingdom belongs to you. So if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, this kingdom is for you. If, if you are meek in a world that only values physical dominating strength, or political power, this kingdom is for you. This is a great kingdom, and it's here. And then he takes us through just a number of topics, and if you've missed anything, this is our 17th week. And I feel like we still haven't really done justice to all the things that we've talked about so far. 
He goes on and he says that we can live in a way that shows the best parts of the kingdom. And when we do that, when we really show people what the kingdom look like, looks like, it's like shining a light in the darkness or fertilizing soil so that when the gospel falls into the soil of their life, it grows and there's a lifetime of fruit that grows out of them. He talks about our relationships with others and the fact that if you're going to follow these teachings and if you're going to be a part of the kingdom, there are going to be problems. You're going to get mad. You're going to value things you shouldn't value and you're going to devalue people as you see them as just objects to fulfill your own desire. And there are times that you're just going to have to stop and you're going to have to remember, you know what? We are all broken and messed up. And Jesus came for all of us. There are going to be times that you are going to feel insecure and like you're not enough. And at times you're going to try to invoke God and you're going to try to make yourself look better in front of others by invoking God and you're going to use an oath that invokes His name. Don't do that. Just be yourself. Be true. Be real. And then there are times that you are going to want to put yourself over somebody else and you're going to want to judge them. And the reality is, whatever issue you have discovered within them, you know deep down inside you have worse issues in yourself. So deal with your issues first. And don't put yourself in a place over someone else. And don't drag God in and, and say, hey, it's me and Jesus against you. You're a bad sinner. Not as, you know, I'm not as bad as you and Jesus is on my side. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. He's talked about authenticity through the ways that we pray and the ways that we fast and the ways that we're generous. And Jesus has already talked about prayer. But then we come to this place and and He transitions into this relationship, not just with each other, but our relationship with God. And this these few verses that Patrick just read, this is all about our relationship with God, understanding God's character and understanding how God wants to interact with you within your life. And yet we're going to struggle with this. Because if we only read this at face value and we don't dig deeper and try to figure out what's Jesus saying here, we'll leave frustrated and we'll even deny that this is true. We'll deny that God is real. We'll deny or not even believe that God cares about us. So as we come into this, um, let us come in recognizing there is a treasure in life and that is found in knowing Jesus and living within the kingdom, and part of that treasure is also being in relationship with other people also who are seeking the kingdom. And in so doing, we're going to have the kinds of relationships that the rest of the world will envy. And the world will want to be a part of this. Not because of the big promises we make, simply because of the way we love other people. People are going to want to be a part of this. There's a lot of things we can talk about. There's a lot of places we can go. I want to I want to share a few things with you, and then I've got I've got a video I want you to watch, um, and I want you to know I I, I believe um, all that I'm going to share with you, but I still have questions, and it's okay if you have questions even when you fully believe something. All right, let's let's dive in. Let's start with the very obvious from the very first verse um, that we heard this morning, and that is, ask and you shall receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Now Jesus has already talked about prayer, he's talked about it in being authentic, he's also kind of shared a framework by which we can pray, and I want to return to that in a few minutes, I don't want to do that yet, but Jesus has already talked about prayer But here, he is simply saying to us and to you and to anyone who would want to know Jesus is, if you have a perceived need, ask. Ask. And the interesting thing is, is Jesus doesn't give any qualifiers here. He doesn't say, ask for these things, not for those things. Although we all know uh, in living life, especially if you've ever had children, um, there are some things that get asked for that ought not be granted. Amen? (laughs) We all go through that, and maybe we get to a point in our own lives we recognize, hey, I did that to my parents. But we absolutely recognize it when we have little humans running around that we're responsible for keeping them alive, right? And growing and healthy and not hurting anybody and not hurting themselves. It's a a lot of work. But Jesus is not giving any qualifier here. He's simply saying, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. 
Jesus is saying that prayer is asking for things that we perceive we need. He's already told us in this sermon, I already know, God already knows. He didn't say I know. He said, God already knows what you need even before you ask. Which also kind of begs the question, then why do we have to ask? I think think we'll touch on that today. I'm not sure we'll land the plane on that today. But then he goes on, and after he said, you should ask and you'll receive... You should seek and you will find. You should knock and the doors will be open to you. He goes on to demonstrate one of the things that many of us struggle with um, in our faith at some point or the other. Usually when something goes wrong in our life, we struggle with the idea that God is two things. Number one, that He is loving. And number two, that He is generous towards us. Because God feels loving and generous when we pray and we receive. But what happens when we pray and we don't receive? Sure we doubt. And sometimes in the church, when we don't really understand the context of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, we say very helpful things like, well, maybe there's sin in your life. Right? Has anyone ever had that happen to them? Uh, Sounds like you're doing something wrong. I mean, is really what we're saying. And boy, isn't that encouraging. That's a pick-me-up anybody wants. Come to church. I think there's something wrong with you. That's why God's not answering your prayer. Because the answer is mine. Yeah. Sometimes... Sometimes our answers are, well, you're just asking for the wrong things, which I think has a twinge of truth to it, but then that also puts us back in the same place of, is there something wrong with you? Jesus is trying to introduce not just the idea of, hey, if you need something, let me know. I have no friends like that, okay? I have, like, I have, let me back that train up. I have friends like that, but I recognize there are boundaries to what they're offering, like, I mean, you know, if you need something, I need you to take care of work for me for the next six months. How's that? Can you do that for me? Right? Hey, I'm thinking about taking a trip to Hawaii. I have no money. Can you front my trip? You know, I don't have any friends like that. Like some of you may have friends like that. And I think that's awesome if you do. I don't have any friends like that. But we often read things like this of Jesus and we say, Jesus, you front my trip to, you know, wherever. So certainly there are times that that happens But a lot of times the answers we give people are really not deep, thought-through responses to God's goodness and His generousness. What we tend to uh, do is we put the fault on people. Now here's the main problem with putting the fault on people when you read passages like this. Like literally every single person in Scripture, uh, they they were at fault. (laughs) Every single one. I've been thinking about where do we follow up with um, the Sermon on the Mount, and we've got about another three, four weeks, and then we're gonna we're not gonna continue with Matthew. We're gonna end the Sermon on the Mount, and I I think we are going to um, we're gonna go finish Genesis. So we start we we've already kind of been through Genesis one through eleven, and um, we we which kind of leads you right up to Abraham or Abram at the time, and we are going to kind of continue the patriarchs. And one of the reasons I want to continue the patriarchs um, is because there's some there's there's covenantal language uh, in Scripture that is given to each of the patriarchs that is important for us to know. In other words, promises God made to them. And then one of the things that I want us to see is that no matter which one you pick, the people that are held up in the list of faithful people, no matter which one you pick, they screw up all the time. Faithfulness is determined by God, not just by us because God is faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him I think this is a really important aspect when we try to help someone while their prayers aren't getting answered well I think there's something wrong with you well there's been something wrong with everybody and God still answers prayer so there's got to be another answer here some of you might be sitting here just kind of a little bit of knots because in your mind and in your heart, I've been praying for something that I think is really important, and there's no way to answer all those. I mean, I can't answer really probably any of them. But, but when you've got a family member who is deathly ill, and you're praying that they'll be healed, and they're not being healed, like there's no church answer. There's no church answer here. Well, I think maybe he's got sin in his life. Well, join the club. Join the club. Now, if you've got a child who's sick, well, that's a whole nother level. Because there's something, it's one thing when your parent gets sick, 
Another thing when you get sick, but when your child gets sick, and you're saying, well, I don't know. I don't know why he's not answering your prayers because he answers mine. I mean, that's just not helpful. Because now they don't like you or Jesus. One of the things that he's trying to show us here is that God's loving and generous character can be trusted. God loves you. And not just you. Like He loves every person who's ever had a heartbeat. He loves the people that totally rejected Him. Jesus loved the people as they nailed His hands and His feet to the cross that we celebrate his, celebrated His resurrection last week and honestly should be our celebration every week. He loved them. And then He went so far as to say, you know, and we've already, this is in the Sermon on the Mount too, you, you, those people that you really can't stand, you should love them. Love them. Even, like how bad, how bad do we still have to love? Like love your enemies. The people that are the worst of the worst in your mind that are absolutely against you Love them. And, and even when Jesus was on that cross and they had nailed Him to that cross, He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So this is a picture of Jesus that is just so beautiful and He is a representation of God the Father for us to see. So much so that Jesus would go on to say, if you think you haven't seen the Father, well, you've seen Me. And if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. And he's showing us that God loves and is generous and he can be trusted. And some of us struggle with that. Some of us struggle with believing that. If you grew up in a home where your father could not be trusted to love or be generous, you struggle with this image. A lot of people that grew up in very dysfunctional homes struggle with kind of father imagery of God because their idea of father is, is, is neglect or other terrible things that have happened. And they struggle with this. And Jesus isn't trying in this moment to undo all of that. That's a, that's a, sometimes that's a lifetime of undoing, but He is trying to say, you, you, even if you've seen a bad father, God is a loving and generous Father and He wants you to come to Him and share what your needs are. He's a loving parent that when their child asks for something, they don't give them something bad. Our kids, it's, it's easier when our kids were younger to give them what they wanted than when they got older. Um, as they got older, their wants got more expensive and harder and less in my control. Um, I can talk about Emma. She's not here. I'll, I'll give the boys a retrieve, reprieve today. But I um, saw a, a post this week from a mom that just made me remember a time with Emma, and I'm going to brag on her and, and share a moment of her pain. I think she'd be okay with that. Um. Yeah, right. Going out to all the world. In sixth grade, Emma played volleyball for middle school, Loftus Middle School. She loved it. And for those of you who have played school sports, uh, maybe it was band or maybe it was a club or whatever, you found a community of people that you could do life with and do school with and you had fun with. And for Emma, it, it became volleyball. And she was super excited and um, she played and we were super excited for her. And um, seventh grade, she didn't make the team. And if you've ever had um, a child that doesn't make the team, it's not a good day. And we said all the things you're supposed to say as a parent, which is, oh, I'm so sorry. Listen, um, we're going to go break the coach's kneecaps. Now we didn't say that. But uh, we said all the things you're supposed to say. You know, if you really want this, just keep working. We'll do whatever we need to do here. We'll, we'll play... Rec League will play AAU. If you really want this, then you're just going to have to keep at it. So she worked hard and she played um, Rec and um, AAU her 7th grade year. Tried her 8th grade year and she didn't make it. Oh, you know mom and dad were praying she would make it. Now, 
is this balance of good and evil, light and darkness, the fate of the world, um, is this fate of the world kind of stuff? No. It is for her. It is not for her. not for anybody else. She didn't make it her eighth grade year. Now, I, I brag on her because she kept playing and kept trying, and she played all four years in high school. But when she went to try out, <laughs> we were like, oh, my gosh. Uh, do we want to try out? Okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's try out. Eyes, eyes clenched, praying, God, I, I don't care what you have to do. You've got to make this happen. Well, she did make it. But the two years prior, she hadn't. Those are things that parents can't take care of. When your child comes home from school and the first time they got picked on, and you're just, you're as devastated as they are. Because it doesn't happen until they get to a certain age. Everybody's friends to a certain age, and they get to a certain age, and then your heart breaks. Your heart just, there's nothing you can do. It was different when they came up and they just wanted some apple juice, right? That was different. Or chocolate milk instead of, of regular milk. That's different. How many times did our, our kids come up with their big, you know, chubby hands, you know, milk, milk, and we were like, here's a beer, you know? No, we don't do that. That's not stuff we do, right? There are times I would hand them a lemon. I'm not going to lie. When they were little, every child got a lemon at some point, and that was a lot of fun. If you're a parent and haven't done that, don't let that season pass before you've had that opportunity. Just saying that. But how many of us, when we have the ability to offer, withhold? And then dinner time comes. Dad, I want a Pop-Tart. No, you can't have a Pop-Tart. But I want a Pop-Tart! Right? That's how, that's how the conversation goes. Um, you can't have a Pop-Tart. What are we having for dinner? Having beans. What? Having beans. I'm not eating beans. Yeah, we're eating beans. You know, it's but you need beans. You don't need a pop tart. Pop tarts for later or earlier, but not for right now. There are certainly times in which we look at God and in his loving and generous character, we sometimes assume that he will be more generous than we are open to being to our own children. Because we know some of the things that our kids want aren't healthy, and they aren't good. And we want to give, but we know that if we do give, we're just inviting more and more problems. And all the parents in the room are like, I'm tracking with you, I know exactly what you're saying, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Everyone else and, and the kids in the room are like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about, you should just give them what they want. But you know, they will come to a point when they will know. But everyone's unspoken question is this, and this is really where I wanted to, to kind of hit at this morning, and, and that is this question. So why hasn't God given me what I've prayed for? And let me again say, I am not smart enough or clairvoyant enough to know why the things you've prayed for haven't happened. I know when we've dealt with Family health issues, we pray about those health issues and the health issues sometimes are alleviated and sometimes they're not. There are people we have prayed that they are on their deathbed, that God would heal them. And, and we have nice church words that say things like, yeah, He healed them in another way, which is 100% true, but in that moment, it doesn't feel that way, right? I'm not the only one that feels that way, I'm sure. So God, why aren't you answering what I've prayed for? The only way I think I know how to steer us in this conversation, and I steer myself in this conversation, and um, and, and I want to share a video with you um, in just a moment, not yet, but just a moment, and I would like to say that this way of sharing this part of the story is completely originally mine, God gave me this, but... Um, as I've shared with you in the past, I, I've been doing just a lot of listening to people who understand the Old Testament a lot better than I do. And um, One of those is um, the author of The Bible Project, which is Tim Mackey, and many of you listen to The Bible Project, and you've joined us on The Bible Project reading plan. And, um, and so 
one of the ways he lays this out is so helpful. I thought, I'm just going to follow his lead. So, the unspoken question, why hasn't God given me what I've prayed for? He calls this the blank check prayer theology. And the blank check prayer theology is this. Ask and receive means I can ask whatever I want and I will receive. We lived in Fort Worth for a while. This um, theology takes a number of branches. We lived in a place where there was... Um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to. I don't know who all everybody listens to, but if you listen to Kenneth Copeland, you really shouldn't. Um, so I don't say that often, but I'll say that about him. You shouldn't. Total prosperity gospel. Um, aim it and claim it. Um, you can get whatever bad um, phrases there are about that theology. He's 100% all of it. He's just a false teacher. I don't. I don't know any other way to say it. Um, in their youth group, uh, they would. Uh, youth, I, I remember uh, Deidre was teaching at the time, and she so she was a sponsor for one of their youth Bible studies at the school where she was at. And she came home one day, and we were just talking about it. And um, the kids were praying, they, you know, turning 16, and they're praying for luxury sports cars. I'm naming it. I'm claiming it. God's got to do it. I'm going to tell you, you're, that's, a, that's whack theology. That is whack theology. They're teenagers, right? They're going to grow into this place and realize they're either going to walk away from their faith, which a whole bunch do in that theology. A whole lot of people walk away because they realize it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But you say that what I'm naming and claiming in my blank check theology is because I want a sports car while you're sitting next to someone who's watching their child die, and now the world economics turns upside down. Why hasn't God given me what I've prayed for? Blank check prayer theology is a way that we go. And typically, um, when it doesn't work, we go into a number of extreme ways of viewing that. And one is this. God is not real. That's why it's not being answered. Something's wrong with me, more so than other people, who God's answering their prayers. Or Jesus is lying. I mean, there's really the only places you can go if you have a blank check prayer theology, that this is what Jesus is saying. No matter what you ask for, you get it. There's really only places for you to go when it doesn't happen. And so how do we, where do we go with this? And I think Jesus ends these verses uh, in the way that he would have us go with this. And that is this, your Father knows how to give you good gifts. God wants to give you good things. If God wants to give you good things and God is trustworthy and God is generous and God loves us, then how do we understand if God wants to give us good things? I think some of the good things that we receive if we're following Jesus, if we read the Sermon on the Mount, He's saying this, if you, if you want the kingdom... You're going to build relationships with other people that they are authentic and they are not different for you and different for somebody else. It is the same person all the time. And then you get to be the same person all the time. You, warts and all, get to be accepted and loved and a part of a community that says you're us and we're you and we're together and we want to be one big happy family together. And I don't care what your past is and I don't care what you look like and I don't care what mistakes you've made. We have all been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and you're with me. And that is something that draws people to Jesus. If you have a need, you're going to have other people around you that they're also generous and they're going to help take care of your need. There's a community that you're not going to be judged. And if you do something wrong and somebody gets mad at you, they're going to forgive you. And if you do something and you make somebody else mad, they're not going to stop being your friends. You're going to have an opportunity to ask them to forgive you. And they're going to forgive you, and you're going to get past it, and your, your relationship's actually going to be stronger than it was before. This is all what it, be, it means to be a part of the kingdom. It's real. It's authentic. It has tangible results in the relationships and the ways that we live life and the ways that God is active within our life. And God wants to give that good thing to us. 
But there's also a bigger story that God is telling. And one of the problems with the blank check prayer theology is the fact that that assumes we are the architects of what is good and we just tell God to give us what we should have and that will be enough. I, I thought about um, oh the not Evan Almighty. What was the Bruce Almighty? Remember the Bruce Almighty uh, movie? Some of you don't even know what that movie is because that was a long time ago. But there's a great scene. I've showed it so many times. I thought about showing it today, but I didn't. And and that is where he's answering prayer by email. You know, he God has given Bruce, played by Jim Carrey, like God. He's God for a day. And so now he's got to answer everybody's prayers. And he's like, how am I going to do this? Oh, I'll do something I understand. We'll put it all in email. So now he gets just email after email after email after email of all these requests. And he's like, oh, I don't know. Yes, yes, yes. And he says yes to every single request that comes in. And then it cuts away to a shot and the world's just burning. It's like absolute chaos. Because everybody got what they want. And no, no one stopped to think, well you know, I really want to get this job and I don't want them to get this job. Now they're out of work, you know, or, or whatever. And, you know, without an, any thought to community, the world explodes when that kind of theology, it's just, it was a beautiful picture um, of, you know, why sometimes God wants to give us good things, but not everything. Blank check prayer theology assumes that we're the architects of what is good. And so we just say, you know, God, give me this thing and God's supposed to give it. And sometimes we're wrong. And sometimes we ask for things that aren't good. But there are... There is a bigger story. He has a goal for everything that He has been doing from the very beginning of time until He returns again and there's a new heaven and a new earth. God has been telling a consistent story from the very beginning. This is the video I want to show you. This is... Um, there were... I struggled. There were, they've got so many good videos that just talk about the overarching theme of uh, story of Scripture, and they tell it in such a concise way. If you're not a fan of the Bible Project, you should go look them up. Everything's free. You can download it for free. We can show it for free. Um, it's just a really wonderful tool to to take complex things and really big things and put them down and boil them down into pieces. And um, the the author Tim Mackey is a Hebrew scholar. Spends a lot of time really studying and not just making cute videos, but trying to make sure that they're um, theologically accurate. And you can also go on their podcast. And while this is a five-minute video, um, they'll spend an hour, hour and a half talking about what led to all of the things in it. Um, And so you can see kind of the thoughts behind it. There's a great purpose in this. Um, this is a video on covenant. This is the story God's been telling, and it's about promise. So if we if we think about covenants as promise, then what we see within this um, what we see in this is that God may actually have a goal for our prayer life and for this ask and knock and seek. So let's watch this real quickly. If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend, or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much, and that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right, and this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many, and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises, and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. 
So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus, is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David, and so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who were becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. All right, so God's been telling this story from the very beginning. And he didn't start telling this story when I was born. So I don't get to wrap in my own personal theology the idea that, um, God, let's, let's move heaven and earth for the way I want my life to work out. <laughs> God's got a story, and he's invited us to be a part of it. And his covenant is a partnership with us but it's also a partnership of us with God. And so there's a place for us to have in our time of prayer to say, God, how are the things that you've been trying to do that are good from the very beginning, how can I be a part of that? Or God, how can we solve the issue of um, pain and, and, and hurt and conflict? How, God, how can we do something about that? We're a part of be, uh, invited to be a part of this kingdom, but this is His kingdom that He's inviting us to, and, and He created us to be a part of, but we remember it is His kingdom, and it is not our kingdom. It is ours with Him, but it is His kingdom. Are we praying 
for the rescue that He's been working on from the very beginning? Are we praying for redemption? Are we praying for healing? Are we praying for peace? Are we praying for God to do something in the midst of, uh, of just disaster in the world? Or do I focus all of my asking and receiving for what I need in the moment? You see, there's just no good answer as to why God hasn't answered a prayer. But I think there's a, there is a direction that we can take in which God wants to give us good things. And some of the good things that He wants to do, He's been doing from the beginning. And it's not new for us right now. He's making us new. But this is what He's been doing. So as I was putting this together this week, it was a, a, a time of, uh, gosh... How much have I been praying for peace between conflicted parties? We've been praying for Ukraine, but what about friends and family members? Or someone I'm really upset with, how much am I praying for a resolved relationship and that we can forgive each other? Or how much am I praying for... um, group of people that are doing really bad things in the world. But they came to a life of doing those bad things because of a life that they maybe had no choice in. Maybe the community they grew up in. Maybe the family they grew up in. Uh, maybe they were just, they had hurt after hurt after hurt and their heart took so much hurt that it just turned hard. And they just needed somebody to come in and love them. And say, I don't care what you've done. I'm going to choose to love you. How many times have I prayed for that? Now this does not in any way diminish a prayer for someone who's sick. uh, um, A marriage that's in trouble. um, Kids that you're afraid of the decisions that they're making. Or impending financial disaster because uh, you may lose your job or your industry may be coming, maybe becoming obsolete. Those, those are things that are on the heart of God. But it is also possible that what God is wanting to do whenever we ask is He wants to give us good things and the very thing we're asking for is not really the good thing He wants to do. But will we have eyes to see the good thing He wants to do? Maybe He doesn't want you in this industry anymore. He wants you somewhere else. And in part of being somewhere else, you're going to do something for the kingdom somewhere else. But you can't see it. And if He gives you the thing you're asking for, you're not going to get that thing. There is a part of life that God has chosen not to suspend the rules of death. (laughs) We all are going to do it. It's... It's the incurable disease that we're all going to die eventually. And sometimes we die prematurely. At least it feels premature. And sometimes we get sick and we don't understand why someone else doesn't get sick. Those are just questions that I I have no answers for. There are times I think God fully gives us over to our choices and when you start bringing in free will and the ability for us to choose, that really makes this whole ask and receive concept super messy. Um, But sometimes um, I don't want to eat a salad. I want to eat something that has absolutely no food content in it whatsoever and it's going to make me die earlier than I should. And is God supposed to fix that for me or am I supposed to eat better, right? I mean, there are all kinds of things like that in life. Ah, I feel like I'm hedging at this point, and I am. I am hedging. There is a place in faith in which we come to God and we simply say, God, I trust that you are loving and generous. I trust that you are good and you want to give good things. And Father, I am going to trust that if you are withholding this thing that I'm asking for or you are choosing not to to work in this way or that you're maybe working in a way that I don't yet see, but you're still working, uh, I still know that you're a good God because I've experienced your goodness in so many other places in my life and in my world. I've experienced your goodness in my relationship with other people that are trying to follow you. I've experienced your goodness and um, that you don't hold my sin against me. You've forgiven me for my sin. And I, 
I, I've experienced your goodness because when I worship, there's something that happens. It's just something supernatural that happens. And um, it's not just singing and it's not just praying and it's not just thinking or listening. Uh, there's like you do something in me and that is so good. And if you don't solve all these other problems, some of which I've created for myself and some I haven't, but that's okay because you're, done good, you're doing good things. I hope you'll reject the idea that God doesn't love you or He's mad at you or God doesn't want to have anything to do with you so God is not answering your prayers. Because just like all of the covenants that God made, every one of them were broken. And so Jesus came for a covenant that would, could not be broken. So, how should we pray? This is what I want to end with. We go back to the Lord's Prayer. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. and Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'll never forget the first time I looked at this and really recognized all of the plural pronouns in which our prayer life is meant to be corporate and communal. It's meant to be one in which I pray for us and not just for me, and you pray for us and not just for you. And They would pray this prayer three times a day, religiously. And when you pray, give us this day our daily bread, and you sit next to your friend who has no bread, what do you do? You give them bread. And in so doing, God has answered their prayer to have bread through your prayer to have bread because you have enough for you and for them. How many of our prayers do we not have answered because God intends for prayer to be answered in just this way? We make our needs known not just to God, but to our friends and to our family. And our friends and our family say, hey, I got you covered. I got you covered. I don't know how to deal with this loss. I'm here with you. You are not alone. I am with you. I don't know how we're going to pay for these medical bills. Hey, I got, I, I got some extra this week. You and have my extra. And see, we don't do that because some of the other parts of the Sermon on the Mount are still a little foreign to us. Things like totally be authentic. Which means share what you're good at and share what you're not good at. Share what you've got covered and share what you don't have covered. Share when you're doing well. Share when you're not doing well. And let the community come alongside and help. And I feel like in this season this is harder because we have spent a couple of years apart and this coming back together, and I'm super encouraged all the conversation and stuff like that, but this is where God is going to take us if we're going to follow Him. He's going to take us to a place where the community cares for each other. Listen, you're struggling, I'm here for you. You don't have enough, we've got extra. This is exactly what we read in Acts, what was happening in that early church. I don't know where you are in your own prayer life. And right now, if things seem to be, for the most part, being answered, um, praise the Lord. And I do think that's one thing that God does. He does answer prayer. And if you're at a place where, you know, I just, I've been praying for this thing and it's just not helping, um, it's, it's not your fault. I mean, it could be your fault. If I eat all non-food stuff and then I have a heart attack, I mean, that's God's fault, right? It's my fault. But it's not because you're not good enough, and it's not because you're not lovable enough, and it's not because God doesn't want to be a part of your life, and it's not because God doesn't see you and, and want good things for you. God does not require you to be perfect in order for Him to work within your life. And so if you're struggling at this time, and I imagine there's probably several in this room that are struggling with this whole concept of ask and receive, I just continue to ask. Continue to look and see what God might be doing and continue to trust that He loves you and continue to trust that He is generous and maybe even invite some other people into your life and into your pain and maybe they can help too. This is the way of the kingdom and this is what Jesus is trying to teach us in the Sermon on the Mount.
I guess it's fitting that we would close this sermon in prayer, (laughs) wouldn't it? All right, let's pray. Father, Father, you are faithful, even when I'm not. Even as I share what I see as the faults of another pastor, I have just as many faults in and of myself. God, you've been faithful to me to give me good things even when I've asked you for things that aren't good. Father, I pray that you would forgive me and forgive us when we treat you like some kind of a just a magic lamp that if we rub it just right, it will give us all of our hopes and dreams and our wishes. And Father, I pray that you would do a bigger thing than granting us our wishes. I pray that you would change our hearts so that our wishes align with your wishes. That we'll be consumed with others coming to know you. We will be consumed with following you faithfully. We will be consumed with helping people who don't have enough to eat. We will be consumed with helping people who have no friends. We will be consumed with uh, bringing forgiveness into places where forgiveness is withheld. Change our hearts so that we are a kind of community that Jesus talks about. And in our love for each other, we just we draw other people, not because we make bold promises that God's going to take all their problems away, but because we make bold promises that you are there, that you are real, you are active in our lives and in our community. Father, help us remember that you're good and that you give good things. Help us to remember that you have said, ask, come to me and ask. Father, I thank you. I, I believe. I believe in the moments I ask for you for things that if, if I were God, I would roll my eyes. <laughs> you still love me. And you don't reject me. And you are patient and long suffering. So be that for us and help us to understand what you're doing in our lives when we're praying and especially when. We're not seeing the things happen that we've prayed for. Help us to see what you're doing. Help us to see the bigger story. In Jesus' name we pray.